0: Well good morning and welcome. It's good to see all of you this morning. As we get ready for communion, I just want to share that this week we're missing a member of our church family who today is, as the scriptures say, present with the Lord. Often he's on that center camera. Uh, Doug Versteeg passed away on Thursday evening. He was here serving as usual on Wednesday night. And he was with Jesus on Thursday night. And that's good news. Wrapped in sorrow and grief. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, if I'm not here next Sunday, I would want somebody to say my name. So Doug Versteeg. Over 40 years he served. Kids and youth ministry, tech, Uh, building stuff, served all ages. He served all of us for over 40 years. And I'm so thankful that there were several times when I stood in front of him and put my hand on his shoulder and looked him in the eye and I said, Doug, churches run on people like you. You don't know it, but they do. You're here every Wednesday and every Sunday. And he just gave me that shy, nervous chuckle I'm like, seriously, Doug, this is not normal. <laughs> you, uh, you, you've served for a long time, and churches, churches operate because of people like you. And Wednesday night before I left, I was here a little bit later, and I came out just to see if maybe I had to close something up or lock it, and he was standing in the coffee shop talking with somebody. And I went up to him and I said, Doug, are, are you, sta- you locked? Oh, yeah, I'll lock up. Don't worry. Okay. And in my head as I was leaving, I just thought, again, every time I see the guy, I think this, you know, he's just always there, always serving until he's not. Today is the first day that he's not. So uh, it was kind of with heavy hearts this morning that the serving team got together early. And uh, that was where he always was. He was always there with us. So because of that, as we share in communion together... We are reminded of the promise of eternal life. All caps, life. We're reminded of that. We're confident, as Paul said, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we don't know all the details around all that, but we don't need to know anymore. Is to be present with the Lord. And we're sad, but Doug's happy. I know that. Um, so in just a minute, I'm going to have you come up. Now there's quite a few of you, so take your time. We might need a little extra, few extra cords this morning. Uh, but take your time and, and come up and take the, uh, the packet with the juice and the bread back to your seat and have your own time as couples or as a family together there taking communion together. We're going to do that first this morning before our kids are dismissed. So would you join me in prayer and if you are a believer this morning and you would like to take communion um, just come on up and take one of these. And we are remembering what it is we believe in order to be connected to God and that is the cross, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And he told his followers that uh, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I come. We proclaim his death at communion. We proclaim his resurrection really every Sunday. But on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday. Let's bow and just have a few moments of silent prayer and then I'm going to pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for the promise of eternal life. We thank you for the work of Jesus on the cross, for his death, for his suffering, that his body, fully God, yet fully human, and spotless like the lambs of the Old Testament, without sin, was sacrificed for us on the cross. That our sins, the punishment of our sin, was received by him and he took our place. So we believe that God and we celebrate and we remember his death this morning. As we take this bread to God we remember his body. As we drink the juice we understand his blood that was shed for us. And we again We reconfirm our faith in you. We restate, even in our own heart to you, Lord, that we believe in you. We believe in the Savior, Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for him. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to read two scriptures that I'll invite you to come up. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. And in Romans it says that God demonstrates his own love for us this way. What way? This way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So as we talk in a few moments about the anger of God... He's angry at sin, but note that while we were still sinners, he loved us enough to die for us. So I'm going to invite you to come up as you feel ready and take the elements back and have communion there in your chair. Lord, again, we thank you. We thank you for what you did for us. We thank you that it gives us forgiveness and freedom and life. Thank you that you give us joy and peace. You give us strength. And you give us, as your word says, all things related to life and to godliness. So, Lord, we worship you this morning. We praise you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the uh, seventh message in this Keeping Spiritually Fit series. A new series starts next week. Pastor Bo came to me some time ago and he said, uh, there's a series that I'd like to preach. And I said, the whole series? He's like, yeah. Like, okay. (laughs) So it is, uh, it's called Encountering Jesus. And it's a four-week series. And... Then he realized he was going to be in El Salvador for one of those weeks. So I do have one of those weeks. But he is going to be preaching three of the next four Sundays. I am uh, going to only miss one of those. And so I look forward to it. Encountering Jesus. Encounters with Jesus. And um, I, hope that, I hope that you're here for those. Uh, they're going to be very encouraging and helpful. This morning... I have two title slides. I'll put up the first title slide is controlling anger. Anger is a sin. Do not get angry. The end. Let's close in prayer. Sometimes we think that way, right? We just think, well, anger is a sin. It's a sin to be angry. Oh, you're mad. You're mad. You're you're doing wrong. You're bad. What's going on? Stop being so angry. What are you so, you mad, bro? You know, we think that way. But here's the title slide I landed on controlling anger anger is a given and what we do with it isn't anger is a given so is it are we controlling anger or am i talking about controlling anger so let me encourage us the first way that we control anger that anger doesn't control us but the key truth this morning is that anger is not optional it's not optional we are all going to get angry, if you haven't noticed, right? We're all going to get angry. And what we do with that anger determines our success. So last week I said to you, it's easy to be a forgiving person when you don't have anybody to forgive. Well, it's really easy. I repeated that to my wife this week. We were talking about the situation. I mean, yeah, yeah, I was having a little hard time. And it wasn't between her and I. It was some other thing. That would have been like another week. Who knows? Um... But I said to her, yeah, remember what I said about it's easy to forgive if you don't have anybody to forgive? It's easy to control your anger when you're not angry with anybody or anything. And you know how they say, don't pray for patience, because God might give it to you through all kinds of situations, right? And I thought, don't preach on anger. At least if you're going to, just plan on doing it like the night before, Because the last two weeks have been, I probably haven't had opportunity to be as angry about things, and I've had to struggle and actually say to myself, okay, Jeff, why are you angry? What is really making you angry? It's easy not to be angry when you don't have anything to be angry about, but it's when somebody makes you angry that you have to try to figure out how to control it. So anger is kind of like this. So there's there's throwing a baseball at a window. Okay, and shattering the window, which I did when I was a kid. There was a new house going up next door to us, and nobody was around. It wasn't finished. Nobody was living in it. And I had a baseball, and so I was a dumb kid, and I just threw the baseball at the window and smashed the window. Or if you could throw a baseball and you threw it right over home plate, then that would be considered different, right, than what I did. Either way, you're throwing a baseball but one is good and what is bad and anger's kind of like that anger's kind of like that like throwing a baseball isn't the problem the baseball isn't the problem and anger isn't the problem it's what we do with it that's the problem in fact most people that are up to bat baseball players they like it to go over the plate and not like at their head but anger is the same way anger is a human condition because god got angry God got angry, and because he got angry, well, we're going to get angry, but God knows how to deal with it, and we're learning how to deal with it. Let's go back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 4. It's going to be up on the screen, and before I read it, there's a lot of material on the internet where you can find how to control my anger Bible study, uh, how to control my temper Bible study. Uh, Bible, how not to be mad, etc., etc. You can find all kinds of stuff on there. And there's a lot of helpful stuff, and there's a lot of, you know, okay stuff, and there's a lot of wacky stuff. Um, but this morning, I want to point you to the Scriptures, because we could go through it. I'll, I'll share a few things at the end, but we could go through all kinds of psychological stuff. But I just want you to see what the Bible says about anger. And does the Bible speak about anger? It does. It does. It starts out in Genesis 4, where it says that the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering— but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And I thought, was Cain sinning by being very angry? I'm not sure. I don't know. He was angry of this, for the this situation. But what did he do with his anger? He went out and killed his brother. Not a good thing, right? So obviously, that was sinning. That was bad. So he allowed his anger to push himself. Have you ever allowed your anger to push you in a direction that was not helpful? I have. I've suffered the consequences because of my anger. Financial consequences. I actually, uh, my wife and I were having a, a, a conversation. And we pulled up to the pharmacy where she was going in. And our little daughter was in the back seat. And she was only like, I don't know, nine months old, six months old. And so we got there, and now that we're there, she decided she would get out of the car and go in. But I was in the middle of being angry. And as she walked past the front of the car, I'm much younger, I was much younger back then. I just took my fist and I hit the windshield. And when I hit the windshield, the thing went... (laughs) I was like, oops. And all my anger went... It it's like disappeared. And I sat there like, what did I just do? And I thought everybody that was walking by could see the shattered wind- windshield that back then only cost me $137, but that was a lot of money back then. But that was anger. I hardly touched it. It was those old windshields that just shattered at the drop of a hat. I hardly touched it. But that has been, for most of my adult life, a picture for me of what happens when you get angry and you don't control your anger. Now, it sounds a lot worse than it really was, perhaps. I mean, so it was a shattered windshield. I really didn't hit it that hard. I must have just hit it just the right way and in the right place. But man, when I hit that thing and it it just kinda cracked, all my anger just disappeared. So Cain was angry, but what did he do with his anger? He didn't redirect it in a positive way. He directed it in a deadly, violent direction. And that's obviously what we can't do. The Bible talks over 370 times and uses the word angry or the word anger throughout the Bible, but mostly in the Old Testament. And there's a fair number of them talking about God being angry. But the vast majority of them are about people Being angry with a circumstance or another person. And then in the New Testament, those two words are only used 20 times. Now, there's other words that are are similar, but but those two words about 20 times. And four of those times is talking about the anger of God. And it refers back into the Old Testament. And then only 16 that talk about us in anger or being angry. We're going to look at some of those. But the Bible has a lot to say, but if you've got this notes page, number one, God himself gets angry. Let's just, settle, let's just settle it. God gets angry. Therefore, anger in and of itself cannot be sinful. It's not a sin. It's like the baseball. It's like temptation. Just to be tempted doesn't mean that you're sinning. Back in Exodus 32, when Moses went up on the mountain to get the law from God, and he was getting ready to come back down, and God said to him, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. We're just going to start over, Moses. How do you, you want to be the father of many nations? Let's just start with you. That's weird, isn't it? It's like, really, God? Really? Moses thought it was kind of strange, and look what Moses says. Now, it's weird to us, right? It's weird to us. It not weird to God. Verse 11, Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Moses, representing the people, sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them? On the mountain, and to wipe them off the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and uh, give your descendants all the land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. So God was really angry at the sin of the people and how it dishonored him and how it dishonored them, how it hurt him and how it hurt them. And he talked to Moses about it. and He and Moses had a conversation. And when he was done with the conversation with Moses, might have still been angry, but then he made his decision on which direction he would go. A really interesting little exchange in the Old Testament that we see that we have to ask a lot of questions about that, about God being angry and about God changing his mind and about a man standing up to God and speaking his mind. There's a lot there to think about. Isaiah 54, verse 8, it says, In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. The next verse says to me this is like the days of Noah when i swore that the waters of noah would never again cover the earth so now i have sworn not to be angry with you never to rebuke you again so god gets angry god experiences anger we like to use the term righteous indignation right it's just ang- it's just anger god it's part of god's makeup Untainted by sin or the flesh. Number two, God gets angry at sin. He gets angry at sin. In Isaiah chapter 64, on the screen it's going to say 66, but it's actually chapter 64. I just wanted you to see this passage. I wanted you to see the context. I get nervous about cherry-picking verses out of the Bible without the context, so I wanted you to see the context here. So I'm just going to read the first nine verses It says, and this is the end of Isaiah, in Isaiah 64, it's the end and God is giving them promises of future restoration, of future hope and future glory. In the early parts of Isaiah, he told them all about judgment. And now the judgment is easing a little bit and he's shining some light on their future. And Here's what they say. They say, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down and make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to boil, to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down, and the mountains trembled before you, Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against your ways, against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We are all we all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have gotten us over, have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father we are the clay you are the potter we are all the work of your hand do not be angry beyond measure lord do not remember our sins forever oh look up on us we pray for we are all your people and through that exchange the people are calling out to god and they're saying you've turned you've turned your face away from us because of our sins and we're asking you Give us another chance. Don't be angry with us forever because we're your people. We're your people and we're calling on you and we want you to show up. We want you to show up in greatness and in power and our enemies are going to fear. Our enemies are going to quake. But we're going to quake too, but in righteousness and in holiness, turning back to you. God gets angry at sin. In Romans 2 verse 8 Now we're in the New Testament, it says, but for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and who follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. So we're beginning to see here the wrath and anger that comes from God. It is not out of control, violent, lose your temper, chaos. It's not break up the joint, knock people down, hurt people. It's not that. It's not like this, this out-of-control, vengeful, violent God. No, no, no. It's, it's the God who, even with his holiness and his love, there is also, against evil, wickedness, and sin, there is wrath and there is anger. Would we expect a God of holiness and a God of love to not be angry? When people are sinning and hurting themselves and hurting others, there's an anger. If, you're, if your children, if your children start making the wrong choices and you're a good parent, which I'm assuming all of us are, we get angry. What do we get angry for? We get angry because of the damage and the harm that they're doing to themselves. That's not about us, it's about them. We want what's best for them. We want them to make the right choices and make the right decisions so that their life goes well, so that God can bless them and so that others can bless them and they can bless others. There is that anger that we can have from God. It's not sinful anger. It's it's actually very controlled. It's very holy. It's very righteous. See, we don't want to confuse the losing your temper and a violent temper with being angry. Being angry is a posture and a position you take against rebellion and evil and sin. Over here has to do with selfishness and self-centeredness and a loss of control. God's anger is all about control because he's God. So he tells us, hey, we're gonna see. You're gonna get angry But don't sin. And he talks to us about that. In fact, Jesus, even Jesus got angry. He got angry at the religious leaders when they sinned and had no mercy and no care for somebody who was physically deformed that God wanted to heal. They had no care or concern. In fact, they were getting ready to accuse Jesus of doing it. Oh, you're doing it on the Sabbath. That's wrong. That's wrong. And it says there in Mark 3, 5, he, Jesus, looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was completely restored. He looked around at them in anger. So being angry is not sinning necessarily, right? You can look around in anger and not be sinning. The third thing on your notes page is that our anger should never be used to get revenge on those who have offended or hurt us. Get revenge. Just like we don't judge other people because God is the judge, we don't avenge things or or get revenge against people or avenge offenses. We let God do that because God can do that without losing control. God can do that without losing his temper. God can do that without collateral damage. Romans 12, verse 19, it says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Now again, I want to repeat this. When I look at that and I see God's wrath, I think of my wrath. Because if I get to the point of like wrath and we use anger and wrath a little differently, in our contemporary culture, when I think about my wrath, I think about sin. I think, okay, I've let this go way too far and I'm out of control. That's not what this is saying. It says, leave room for God to deal with it. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And the Lord is going to deal justly and rightly with holiness and justice and truth. He'll handle it. He's the judge on the bench, and he's going to rule. With complete, as Bo talked this morning, authority and justice. But look what it says in verse 20. It says, on the contrary, here's how you have to deal with people. You say, this is, you'll, you'll be good if you do this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Don't get even with him. And, ah, you're thirsty. I've got something to drink. Go die. No, that's not, that's not what we're to do. We're to give our enemy food and water and leave room for God's wrath. Because when we get in and we get involved and we try to avenge and we try to exact justice, it always it goes bad. It goes the wrong direction. Psalm 37 verse 8 says, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Don't fret, it leads only to evil. But that verse alone doesn't give you the full picture. Look at the next verse. For those who are evil will be destroyed. God is the one who deals with sin. God is the one who does it. God will destroy the evil and the wicked. That, that's his job. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. So it's not just that you refrain from anger and you turn from wrath and you just let everything go and people just get off scot free. No, no, God, God, God takes care of it. He does a much better job at it than we do. The fourth thing on your notes page is that anger is often misused and leads to bad consequences. Now, that's kind of a duh one right there, right? Anger often gets misused and it leads to bad consequences. And we've, we've all been there. Proverbs 29, says, an angry person stirs up conflict. And a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Somebody who just kind of practices anger, that has no godliness about it, has no guardrails around it, they are going to stir up all kinds of conflict and commit many sins. In James 1.19, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Become angry, but slowly. (laughs) You ever thought about that way before? You can become angry. Just, Just don't be like popping off with a hot temper all the time. Get angry slowly. You know, some food needs to be cooked slow to taste good. So you just get angry slowly. And here's why. It says, because human anger, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Anger is something that we have, but if we develop it and practice it in our lives and get really good at being angry, it doesn't come out the way it comes out with God. Human anger, human anger does not produce the righteousness righteousness that God desires On the contrary, number five, use anger, use anger to motivate you to bring righteousness and justice into the world. In Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger do not sin, quoting from the Old Testament, but do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anger in our lives is something that, Satan would love to use and leverage to mess us up and to mess our lives up and to mess our relationships up. So when anger comes, it's not sin, but what do we do with it? We allow it to motivate us. When you see somebody being wronged, if you were, if you were in the mall and you saw a 32-year-old dad with his four-year-old daughter just smacking her and telling her to be quiet and smacking her, would you be angry? yeah. You'd be angry, right? We'd be angry. We would want to go and allow that anger to motivate us to bring justice and to bring relief to the four-year-old girl. We would want to do something about it. So anger by itself and in and of itself is not going to help us unless we allow it to, we leverage it to motivate us to do what's right, to follow righteousness and seek justice and that's often the case that we feel wronged. Somebody has done something to us and we're angry. Why are we angry? We feel like we've been wronged. We feel like we're, we don't deserve that. I don't deserve that. Then we have to look back at Jesus, right? Who didn't deserve it, but for a reason and for a purpose, endured the scorn and the ridicule and the hatred of others, And yet allowed any anger he had to push him to the cross to save the very ones that were scorning him. Ephesians 4.31 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. That grouping of words right there, there's a reason he's got them in a group. They, they all they all spawn each other. They all they all uh, multiply each other exponentially. Anger is connected to bitterness and is connected to rage, brawling, and then speaking slanderously and and talking people down, along with every form of malice, all the bad stuff. He says, "Get rid of it. Get rid of it." here's what you replace it with, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. In your anger, retrain your response, he's saying, to instead be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. See that first slide that just said, just stop being angry? Doesn't work that way. (laughs) We have to replace that anger with something else. So again, the key truth is that anger is not optional. We're all gonna get angry, but what we do with that anger determines our success. Now, on the back of your sheet, I just have a couple ideas there for you, and the first one that isn't on there is that you'll hear in in counseling sessions that blocked goals produces your anger. Most people get angry when their goal is blocked. Like when you're in a hurry and you're driving down the road and somebody pulls out in front of you and then they go 10 miles below the speed limit and you just feel the goal that you have of getting somewhere being blocked by this person. So what do you do? You have to redirect your thinking. You have to redirect your thoughts to something a little bit better. So on the back of your sheet there, it says, acknowledge your anger and identify why you're angry. This may be hard to do, but the more self-aware you become, the easier you'll be able to know why you feel what you feel. Why am I getting angry? If you can't answer that question, you have little hope of fixing it. You're just you're just uh, you're just responding, responding, reacting, responding, reacting. And you got to say, why am I getting angry? And then you can begin to deal with it. Replace angry feelings. You can't just say, well, I just got to stop feeling angry. Well, how are you going to do that? You do it by replacing those angry feelings with productive, redemptive thoughts and actions. That takes work. You might actually have to sit down at your kitchen table with a notebook and start writing a few things down to to think about what is going on in my life? What is going on in my head? Why am I feeling this way? And allow anger to redirect you toward righteousness and justice, as we said earlier. And if someone has offended or hurt you, seek help or protection if you need to. And begin the process of forgiveness. Now last week we talked about forgiveness. I didn't, I didn't touch a lick on abusive situations and abusive relationships. I sent out an email and I put something on Facebook if you want to look at that. Because forgiveness doesn't mean always restoration. Sometimes it means separation. It means somebody who has offended you or hurt you to such a degree that you can no longer have a relationship with that person. Doesn't mean you can't forgive them. It also doesn't mean that you have to be restored to them. Then the last thing on there, ask God to help you deal with your angry feelings and ask God, but don't just pray. Don't just pray. Pray and talk about it with somebody else. That's why God has given us the body. That's why we have each other. We can't just do it on our own. So when you're going through stuff, pray about it, yes, but talk about it with somebody else. Find a trusted person, a parent, an adult child perhaps. I got some adult children I can talk to these days that that you trust that you can talk through with it. A counselor, a spouse, uh, um, a pastor, whoever. And then anger with God. It's not on there. Anger with God. You know, a couple of weeks ago, something happened, and I thought, well, God, good move. Where were you that day? Obviously, you weren't on the throne doing what you should have been doing, or that wouldn't have happened. Like those kind of thoughts, yeah, I'm a pastor. Those kind of thoughts come into my head once in a while, but it's okay because those are my feelings. But then I've got me over here who's rooted here in God's Word. Okay. All right, God, God knows. You know, it's kind of like when, you know, when this tragedy happened and all these people were lost, where were you? Well, I was there with them as they were going. Okay, God, sorry. I didn't mean to ask you that question. We can get angry with God. Anger with God simply provides an opportunity for us to grow in our relationship with God and grow in our understanding of our faith and our understanding of God's word. Because God is never the one who's at fault. God is fixed. He's a constant. He's a source of truth. He's foundational. He's, he's stalwart. He's the one that we're, we can be tethered to. Because we're like flying around like this, but God doesn't move. And so when we're angry with God, it just means that we're off here somewhere and we don't have God's perspective. And it may be totally understandable. It's just gonna take us some time. But anger with God is an opportunity. To grow in our understanding of who God is, and our understanding of truth, and our understanding of our faith and our relationship with Him. So anger is not sin, but what we do with it will help us and put us on a better trajectory or will take us in the wrong direction. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that you, you were so honest and we didn't look at so many passages in the Old Testament where you talk about the, the, the burning, fierce wrath that you had against evildoers and against sin. To the extent that you are holy, to that extent you have to deal with sin and rebellion and evil. And yet, God, yet... Your mercy and your grace shine brighter. Uh, that They cut through the dark clouds. And for those who would call on you, for those who would come to you in faith, for those who would take and receive forgiveness of sins, you are there to forgive. And you are there to love. And you are there to shower mercy and kindness and goodness on people. God, I pray if there's one person in this room this morning or more that have never placed their faith in you, never placed their faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loved them and gave himself for them, God, I pray that they would, that they would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved from sin and death and hell and be saved to a life an eternal life of love and relationship with you. God, I pray that as we go this week, that you would help us, help us with our anger to control it, that we would be controlling anger, and that anger wouldn't be controlling us. Help us to seek help from others, to pray to come to you, to search your word, but also to share with other people who can help us. And Lord, I pray for the Versteig family this morning. I pray for Doug's wife and his kids and grandkids. I pray for his parents and his siblings and his whole family. God, I pray that you would give them peace. And I pray that God, through all of this, we would draw closer to you as a church family. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.